You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, we have been uh, going through uh, the top secret file of our life, and uh, we've been kind of taking a look at some of the things that uh, we file away, that we keep secret, that we don't want anybody to know, that have uh, kind of been, well, just kind of hiding in between, in, in between the, the lies that we give in between uh, the things that we think about, it lies underneath the service, uh, surface of our life. Some of the things we've been looking at, we first un- took a look at the, uh, of the reality that many of us are lying to ourselves, and we lie to others. We talked about dishonesty. Uh, we then kind of took a look at uh, the issues of, uh, of uh, dissatisfaction with ourselves and how the top secret truth is that, is that we're, you know, a lot of us are very insecure. We looked at how, how God shapes us and how in spite of our feelings of inadequacy, God's called us and designed us for something great. We also took a look at the, at the challenge of laziness and the, the secret is out. You know, some of you guys are, are, are apathetic in life. You're not motivated. You're undisciplined. Sean brought home a great message on how to become people of discipline who, who honor the Lord with our life. And then we, we took a look at materialism and uh, just how it chokes out our, our ability to change the world and, and to affect life-changing others. And, and, it's, uh, and, and today, uh, well, last week we looked at the, the top secret struggles of our life. We looked at some of the struggles, the sins of our life, and how to truly walk in the Spirit. Today I want to end this series on uh, one last message out of the file and uh, next week, I'm super pumped about next week's series that, that, uh, that I'm going to start. Uh, but today, we're going to wrap up Top Secret with something that paralyzes people, something that, that might even paralyze you, something that might keep you or has kept you from, from, from walking with and for Christ. This is something heavy, and that is our secret shame. Today, I want to talk about the things that we have done, that we feel ashamed about, that we feel have somehow disqualified us from God's value, from, from, from God using us, the things that we have never told anyone. Our theme verse is out of Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 13. This has been our, our verse for the whole series, and that is, he who conceals his sins or keeps them secret does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So what we're trying to challenge you to do is open up the file, take a look at some of those things that you're afraid to talk about, see God's victory in your life over these areas, and see what he has for you once we unveil the secrets. So many confessions begin with, I've never told this to anyone. Those are the kind of things that we've been talking about. Now, we are talking about shame, and I want to ask if you guys have ever seen the dog shame websites, dog shaming. Basically, thank you, only one person, I'm sure. Here's what the dog shaming websites, basically it's pictures that people take of their dogs with signs around their neck, shaming them for like eating the garbage or pooping on the floor or whatever. And so I thought I'd put some of them together. So here's some dog shame, since we're talking about shame. Uh, I ripped the, the nose off every toy, including these hedgehogs, forcing my mom to continually sew their faces shut again. Now, this, this is an actual website where you can, like, dog shame or dog shaming. You Google either one of those, and you'll, you'll give you a ton of pictures. Here's a, here's a couple more. Uh, I break into the pantry, and I hide potatoes all around the house. 
I love the pictures of these dogs. I, I'm a dog lover, so I love, love, love these pictures. Here's a couple more. Uh, I ate grandma's hearing aid. I chewed mom's heating pad and iPad charger cords in half. I'm glad I didn't die. <laughs> Frown. Sometimes when my mom leaves me home alone, I poop on the floor. Now, a lot of the dogs say that, but I just love the face on that one. That dog looks ashamed. All right, here's a couple more. Uh, Sorry, Dad, I chewed your leather couch. What a shameful look. I steal the socks, and the other one eats them. Uh, I went into my mom's purse while she was asleep and ate a tube of bright lipstick and chewed up $1 bills. And it's on the sofa, it's on the dog. That dog looks ashamed, doesn't it? You ever, you have a dog, you go, bad boy, bad girl. And that dog just kind of carols, gives these looks. I hid meat in the couch. That is a bad dog. Bad dog, man. You you smell something, you're like, what? All right, here's a couple more. Uh, I ate the wall instead of my food. Yeah, some of your faces are like, what? Yeah, that is a massive hole in the wall. Um, The dog doesn't look so ashamed. Uh, Here's a couple more. Uh, I like to eat underwear. I'm not going to have a show of hands, but I'm sure many of you have dogs that like to eat your underwear. Um, uh, This one, I'm so bad I ate the federal refund check. And the other one says I ate the state check. (laughs) So Bad dogs. But they don't look so shamed. This one does, though. I'm sorry I jumped on the dinner guest with my granny, with your granny panties stuck on my head. That's pretty funny. Here comes the dog. He's obviously been in your dirty clothes and jumps on your dinner guest. Uh, I think I got one left. Uh, I like to run over the big dog with my cart. (laughs) I thought that was just a cute picture. All right, so we shame uh, our dogs, you know, we, you know, you can't shame a cat. Cats aren't ashamed of nothing. Uh, but you can shame a dog, but you can also shame us, you know. Uh, nobody's pointing their finger at us, usually going, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. Bad, 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 bad. Uh, but we do it to ourselves, don't we? we? We know what we've done. We, we feel bad about it. We shame ourselves. Uh, well, here's the challenge. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces finds mercy. I mean, when our dogs do something bad, they just want some mercy. And we, they give us that little humble, shameful look. But God is reaching out to you today, and he wants to give you some mercy for that shame. Um, let's talk about shame. Because before there was uh, no sin, there was no shame. Could you imagine a world without shame? Well, let's take a look at it. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, the beginning of shame, says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Um, there's a whole lots of humor there that I'm not going to go into right now. They were both naked and they felt no shame. Imagine this, no secrets. Imagine no lies. Imagine nothing to hide. Imagine no skeleton in the closet, uh, no guilt. Uh, your, your partner knows everything about you. And you have no shame about it. I mean, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. That means they were fully transparent and open, no secrets with each other. They were naked and unashamed. That's freedom. That is freedom. What a great place that would be to live. Uh, I'm not suggesting a nudist colony. 
This is not about that kind of naked and unashamed. This is about a sense of transparency that God wants us to live with and in. That's the way God had designed us, to live transparent lives with no shame. And then it says this, that in Genesis 2, that the enemy came. We know him as uh, Satan. He's, he came in the form of the serpent, and he tempted Adam and Eve, and they both succumbed to that temptation. He lied to them. They believed the lie. They sinned. They ate of that forbidden fruit. And this is what happened in Genesis 3, 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. It's like they saw things about themselves that they'd never seen or noticed before, and all of a sudden they looked at themselves and said, I don't like who I am. I don't like what I'm seeing, and I'm scared that this other person is not going to like me for who I am either. So immediately shame begins to set in. They notice they were naked. The transparency left the room when sin entered their life. They were scared that they would be disliked or judged. So this is what they did. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, shame and hiding from others goes hand in hand. And then it goes on to say, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. So they hid from each other, and they hid from the Lord, because shame and hiding from God go hand in hand. Because of shame, they not only hid themselves from each other, but they attempted and tried to hide themselves from God. Now, if you read this story, you can't hide yourself from God. Those things that you put in the file that, that you think nobody knows about, God knows all about them already. Those things too shameful to talk about, that repeated mistake, that, that lie that you made, or that, that past that you're afraid to talk about because you're afraid that someone may not like you because of something you've done years ago or something that had happened to you. You see, shame hides us from others, keeps us from having transparent relationships with each other and with God. Now, I I don't know about you, but I remember so clearly when we were helping to teach our daughters to go potty in the toilet, okay? Potty training. How many of you have the, the memories of the joy of potty training? How many of you are in the middle of the Joy of potty training. A few of you are. Isn't that a challenge? It's what, a, what an amazing thing. You've got this child that, that really doesn't want to go potty in their pants anymore, but is completely undisciplined and unwilling to go and use a toilet. So there's this challenge between uh, getting them to, to pre, you know, to, to, to go a, a pre-potty before, you know, before it all happens, right? So there were times uh, in our daughter's lives where um, they had to go really bad, but they didn't want to go to the potty yet because it was kind of a scary thing. You know, they're going to fall in or something. There's all kind of things that scare or keep a child from, from that discipline or that challenge. But, you know, people get it eventually. If you're struggling with your potty training child, um, they get it eventually. But you know what happens is before they get it, they hide it. Maybe you've experienced that where your child has gone poopy in their pants and then decided to hide the evidence. Have you ever had a child do that? Show of hands. I'm just curious. A few of you. Yes, yeah, some of you in the middle of it right now, so it's fresh, literally. And 
You might have a surprise behind the couch when you get home. In moments like that, you all you got to be on your toes. <laughs> oh, I want to say literally again, but it would be overkill. You have to be aware. But there were instances where our kids would would hide the evidence, right? And maybe you've seen it. You know, I've known parents that had kids that have have instead of going to the bathroom, they'll go in a plant. Or they'll go in, in, a, in a clothes hamper or they'll even go outside because they, they haven't quite got it yet. But, but there's that hiding of the evidence. It's, it's, a, it's this attempting. Oh, and I remember this one time when, when, when they, they attempt to change themselves, right? You ever seen that? Where they go potty and they're like, oh my goodness, this is not what I want. This is not what I like. I hate this experience. So they attempt to change themselves only to make it worse, only to make a bigger mess. Shame sets in, a fear of discovery, but then comes the joy of learning how to use the toilet for a child. And it may not be a big deal to you, but for them, you know what it is? It's freedom. So it's time to learn some things, to to allow yourself to be disciplined, to stop trying to hide the evidence and stop going behind the couch and stop pooping in the plants and outside. It's time to flush some of that stuff and watch what God does in your life. So what are you ashamed of? What are the things that you're hiding? I want you to ask yourself, what are you ashamed of? What are you ashamed of? It may not seem like a big deal to others, but it's a big deal to you. And, and because it's a big deal to you, you, you think that it's going to be a big deal to others. Maybe it's that your finances have been terrible or that they are terrible. Maybe that you did or had a bad experience with money and that you're afraid to talk about it. Or, or maybe it's a past sin, something that you did that you're completely embarrassed of, a life that you lived. Maybe you hurt somebody or you were an abuser or something. Or, or maybe that you were addicted to drugs or spent some time in jail. Or, or maybe it was that you were married before. And you know, all these kind of things in your past that some people, they don't ever talk or anybody know anything about. Or maybe it's not things that, that you have done, but maybe it's things done to you. Maybe it's something that a, an uncle or a grandparent or, or a cousin or a neighbor did to you or an ex-husband or an ex-wife or, or something that had happened to you at work and, and you're so embarrassed to talk about it. You're so ashamed to talk about it. Well, maybe you went out on a date and somebody drugged you and you did things that you completely are ashamed of. Whatever it is, you feel guilt, you feel shame, you're trying to hide it. For some of you, your marriage is not doing good because you are, are, are not naked and unashamed, but rather you're hiding this shame from, from your spouse. And as a result, it's keeping you from knowing each other. You're hiding yourself from each other. Well, the enemy uses shame to paralyze us in our tracks. I want to give you the cycle of Satan's shame, the shame cycle of Satan. This is what he does. And we saw this in, in, uh, in, in throughout the Bible. And Genesis is that first one. And this is the first one is that you experience something deeply painful. Some of you, you've experienced something, something painful, something you did, something done to you, but it causes a lot of pain. And, uh, and number two, you connect with what happened with with who you are, and all of a sudden you begin to to identify uh, that issue, that pain, that that struggle, that that sin, that 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 something that somebody did to you. All of a sudden you begin to identify yourself with it, and you begin to label yourself with that. 
And uh, this is, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I did something bad, and I feel bad about it, and I'm not proud of it. But shame says, I'm bad. I'm a horrible person, and the enemy loves when you are ashamed of yourself. Now, there's a healthy being ashamed of something you did bad, and that's not what I'm talking about. Biblical shame here, something that I'm talking about today is that kind of shame that, that God can forgive you of, but you can't forgive yourself of. So you connect with what happened with who you are. I did this. She did this to me, so I'm worthless. He did this to me, so I'm worthless. I'm a failure. How could God love me? I'm dirty. And then it leads to this. You become a prisoner, tormented by your past, and and all of a sudden you feel like you can't really serve God. You can't really worship. When it comes time to worship, you see everybody raising their hands, but you think, that's not me. I could never do that because I am a horrible person, and, and I can't volunteer. I can't help out in outreach. I could never sing in a worship team. I could never volunteer in Kid Venture. I, I mean, people could just tell by looking at me, I have done some pretty bad things, and all of a sudden, you become a prisoner, tormented by your own past, and the result is you begin to tell yourself, well, I'll never get over this, and I'll, I'll always be like this, and God could never use me, and I'll never be normal You know, sometimes we see this in some of the destructive behavior that people bring upon themselves. Sometimes those who who cut themselves or abuse themselves, it's often an attempt to bring deserved control or pain because of the insecurities they feel or the shame they feel. And then they begin to watch it heal, and they somehow in their mind begin to think that maybe there's a chance for me, but the cutting never stops because the prisoner and the torment of their past never changes. Or someone who, who sees themselves in the mirror, and they don't like who they are, they're ashamed of their appearance, and they develop a cycle of an eating disorder, purging and starving and purging and starving and binging and purging and starving. And all of a sudden, this cycle of shame makes you a prisoner or a husband who's controlling and abusive and a wife who says, I deserve it. And a husband who thinks I'm a monster and he becomes a prisoner of his own past and his decisions. You know, a while back, I I used to be a DJ on a radio show for about 10 years and we used to have an open line portion where we did counseling and, and, um, I had this young lady call, and uh, she was uh, like 19, 20 years old, and, and we talked on the phone, and she ended up visiting me in my office, and we did some counseling with another person. She ended up coming to our youth group for a while, but she struggled, and this is what she struggled with. When she was five years old, she was given the responsibility of babysitting her three-year-old cousin. And now in her early 20s, She had been living in pain her whole life because the neighbor brought them both over and assaulted and molested both of them. And she, for for the last, you know, nearly two decades, had been blaming herself because she felt she was responsible. A five-year-old girl was responsible for her cousin, her three-year-old, and she could not get it through her mind that it, She was the victim. She could not get it through her mind that God would love her and care for her. And that all she could think of is, I'm a horrible person. No one could love me. 
uh, I, 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 she constantly battled with suicide. And that's how she ended up calling us is that she was actually going to be killing herself that night. And uh, she heard our conversation, our talk, and uh, she called. And, and uh, you know, we, uh, eventually she, she disappeared. And I don't know what happened to her, but that month that we were with her, she, she struggled and struggled and struggled with shame over something she had no control of. And she was a prisoner of her past, tormented daily. Here's two stories in the Bible of shame and two responses. The first one is a guy named Judas. Matthew 27, verse 3. Some of you guys know, may know Judas. He's one of the 12 disciples. He's the guy that turned Jesus in. He's the guy that, that, that basically led the soldiers to the arrest of Jesus who took him to the site. They didn't have pictures. He's this guy. He said, no, he's going to be the guy who I greet with a kiss, which is a very common custom. So he went up to Jesus, greeted him with a kiss, and immediately the soldiers knew that was Jesus, and they arrested him, and Jesus was taken away to his crucifixion. This is what it says in Matthew 27, verse 3. It says, when Judas had betrayed him, Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. That's what they paid him for the information. And he said, I have sinned, he said, and I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to you? What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus, uh, Judas, so Judas threw the money into the temple he left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. See, that's what shame can do. Let's take a look. We're going to come back to that. Here's the second story of shame, but a different response. They pretty much did a very similar thing. In Matthew 26, verse 69, it says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and the servant girl said to him, You were also uh, were with Jesus of Galilee. Now you've got to remember, just that night prior, they were sitting at this meal, and and Jesus said, you know, tonight's the night, guys. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. But don't worry. I'm going to rise from the dead. But they didn't hear that second part. All they heard was that he will be condemned. He will be crucified. And they all began to talk. And Peter slammed his hand on the table and said, Jesus, never. Not on my watch. You know, he says, no, never. And he said, that's never going to happen. I will not allow it to happen. I will die for you. I will stop it. And nobody, nobody, nobody will allow that to happen because I won't let it happen. So this is what happened. Jesus said, but you don't understand, Peter. You're weak. And you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up. So now Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and Jesus was just on the other side of that courtyard being tormented, being tortured, being beaten, being uh, in the process of his, of his judgment towards crucifixion. And, and a, a little servant girl, a teenager, said, you are also a Jesus of Galilee. And he said, uh, he said, verse 7, he says, but he denied it before them all. He says, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out of the gateway where there was a, another girl, another teenage girl saw him and, and said to the people there, hey, hey, guys, listen, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath, swearing. He said, I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there uh, went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them, for your accent gives your way. You're from the other side of town. And, and then he began to call down curses on himself, began to curse and swear. And he began to say, and he swore to them, he says, I don't know the man. 
He had just said he would die for Jesus, and now he's denying him, not just a little bit, but adamantly saying, I don't want anything to do with him. Just then, before the rooster crows, he remembered it. Immediately, the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoke before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And so he went outside and he wept bitterly. These are two men, two disciples who walked with Jesus, saw the miracles, felt his hugs, saw people rise from the dead, saw eyes opened, blind eyes opened, and the mute speak. They denied him both. One's answer was suicide. The other was just shame, brokenness. They basically did the same thing, but they had different responses. One ended in death, but the other ended up changing the world forever. I want you to write this down. The very thing that eats at your soul could be the very thing that motivates you to invest in the lives of others. Because what we find out is that Jesus met up with Peter after the resurrection, and Peter found that in the midst of his shame that Jesus wasn't finished with him, that Jesus had a plan for him, that Jesus was the God of grace and forgiveness and mercy and healing. And though, and though Peter was filled with regret and shame and pain, he was not going to allow himself to be a prisoner or tormented by that prison of shame. While Judas had took his life, Peter, his response was a giving of his life for the service of Christ. And that painful experience was a catalyst for life change in other people's lives. And the very thing that you're ashamed of today could be the very thing that brings freedom to others. In 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this to the church uh, in Corinth in verse 10. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the war does, as the world does. He says, the weapons we fight, they're not the weapons of the world. He says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, that word stronghold is the word okiruma, which means to fortify. It means a prisoner who is locked in by deception. He says, you know what? The, the, the voice and the Spirit of God has come to demolish the prisons that are in our life, to demolish the strongholds. And in fact, we have divine power. If you're a Christian, you have divine power to demolish the prisons in your life. How do we? He says this. Well, this way, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He is not talking about how you are to shut other people down, the conversation or the arguments with other people. He's saying to bring down the strongholds in your life, you need to learn to shut down the arguments in your mind, to take every thought into captivity. Guys, the war is in our mind. That shame, that regret, that pain, that past, that torment, that, that, that life that is just holding you prisoner, those things that are holding you back. He says, man, we have divine power to destroy those prisons, to, to destroy those strongholds, to, to demolish those arguments and pretensions that set up themselves in our mind against the knowledge of who God is and who God says we are. And we need to take every thought captive 
and make it obedient to Christ. That means you need to take your thoughts, rein them in, and have them bow down to who God says that you are. Some of you, you just let your mind go free. Man, you think about all kind. You replay pain over and over and over again. You replay worst case scenarios in every angle possible over and over and over again. If someone says something bad to you and they may not even mean it, but you play it over and over. Oh, they meant to do that. They were trying to do this. They were trying to say that. I bet their intention was this. I bet their motivation. You just play it over and over. Every argument you've ever had with your spouse, you play it over and and over that that decision that look with your child or that something that happened at work there's this sense paul says enough that prison in your brain has got to come down that shame that is controlling you that insecurity that you have take those thoughts into captivity demolish those arguments and those pretensions that are against who god says that you are that hold up against the knowledge of God, take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. That means tell yourself, you know what? This is a lie. What I'm telling myself is a lie because God's word says this about me. What they're saying about me, it doesn't matter because I know who God says is about me. Uh, what God says about me. And I'm not going to keep replaying what they said. I'm not going to keep replaying what they did. I'm not going to keep replaying and living out over and over again those actions that happened to me when I was a young man or a young woman or a young person or just yesterday. Demolish the accusations that oppose what God says about you. Take those thoughts captive and make them submit to God's word. The, The enemy would want you to believe that you are what you did. The enemy wants you to believe that you are what was done to you. The truth is, you are who God says that you are. Before I wrap it up, I've got, I want to show an illustration. I've got a $50 bill. Who wants a $50 bill? Who wants it? Okay, you're not getting it. All right, sorry. Oh, good one. You're ready. All right, I'm not giving it away, so just simmer, simmer down now. All right. This $50 bill, how many of you would want this $50 bill if I folded it? How many of you want it if I folded it again? How many of you would still want it if I crumpled it up in a ball? Oh, I missed it. Here we go. How many of you would still want it if I played hacky sack with it? How many of you would want it if I used it as a napkin? How many of you would still want it? How many wants this $50 bill? I just wiped my nose with it. Anybody still want it? All right. Most of you still would. All right. Now, how many of you want it if I put it in the garbage? How many of you ever gone through garbage looking for money? Let's be honest. Put your hand up. Say, I've gone through garbage looking for money. Money, not because you're looking at somebody else's garbage. Let me clarify. You think you threw your money away and you don't know where it went. Maybe it was an envelope and you think it maybe went in the trash. Have you ever went in the trash looking for an envelope that you thought maybe you threw away? All right. So you would go in the garbage looking for money. How many, now this, this, this $50 bill is in pretty bad shape. How many of you would still want the money if I, if I tore it? I just tore it. How many of you still want it? All right. All right. How many of you, if I just removed this 50 off, how many of you still want it? You still want it? All right. Why do you still want it? It's still valuable. Guys, listen to this. This is, this is vital. 
You're way more valuable than a $50 bill. You know why this is valuable? Because it was created with value. And as long as its creator, our government, holds its value, which may not be long, who knows, um, as long as the government says that this is valuable, it will be valuable. Regardless of how much snot is on this, how much garbage is on this, how much junk, if it's in the garbage, in the trash, you know, regardless of how it's treated, no matter uh, where it goes, no matter what stores, I mean, if this money is used to buy pornography or at a strip club or used to buy drugs or used to buy illegal uh, guns or if, it's, if this money is used to, to, to purchase things that are selfish and, and, and completely uh, unworthy of its money value, I mean, regardless of what you do, with this money, it's still valuable. I could tear it, rip it, stain it, even remove part of it, and it's still valuable because it was created with value. Guys, listen, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how you have acted out your struggles, your sins, your failure, your shame. It doesn't matter what has been done to you or what garbage you've been through or what somebody took from you. You were created with value. And the shame that is holding you prisoner is a lie because God has created you with value. And you know what's cool? When the church gets together, we're just a bunch of dirty, nasty bills but we're all valuable. We're a gathering of of value people. But here's the deal. Apart from Christ, you're with value, but it's unrealized. But in Christ, he helps you to understand that you're still beautiful, that you're still a man, you're still a woman, that you still have something to give, that you still have something special to offer. Paul says, those lies that tell you otherwise, you need to take them captive and make them bow to who Christ says that you are. Two things, I want to end with this, breaking free, two things to realize. Number one, when it comes to getting over the pain or the shame of your past, is number one, realize this, you can't change the past. You can't change the past. You know, a couple months ago, I, we did a message on King David, and he did something very shameful. He betrayed a friend. He committed adultery. He, uh, he got this girl pregnant, and then he covered it up with murder and deception and a national conspiracy. Uh, the baby then died afterwards, and, and David was filled with shame, and he was shaken with deep pain. And uh, this is what he wrote. When this child who he had loved so, so much that was born in sin, but when that child died, he was heartbroken. He was heartbroken. And this is what he said in 2 Samuel 12, 22 and 23. He says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. So as long as there was hope, he says, man, I never stopped praying. I never stopped believing. I never stopped trusting that God may do something. He says, but now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And the answer is no. No matter what you do, you can't change what happened. 
you can't change that experience you had when you were a child. You can't change that experience that you had with that past relationship. You can't go back and relive it. You know, we've, when our girls were little, they had, you know, many of our kids, they have a little stuffed animal or a toy or two that's very special to them. And uh, we used to go on these youth conferences, uh, and we'd take our daughter, Noelle, and she had this little little teddy bear and a doggy and uh, that was with her everywhere. And it was, it was so cute. And uh, we were in, uh, I think it was when we were in Atlanta or Philadelphia, it was one of those conferences, and, and uh, you know, we got the stroller, and next thing we know, we're like 20 minutes from wherever, and there's no, there's no teddy bear. There's no puppy dog, right? There's, it was gone. And so we panicked because that was the thing that she needed to bring comfort and to, you know, to help her sleep every night. That was her thing, right? So, uh, we, we, <laughs> so we went on this search to replace this. All of a sudden, this day of relaxation turned into a mission to find a replica, right, of the dog. Have you ever done, had to do that? Find a, a replica of a pet or a toy to replace? So... Uh, this we found one, but it was a different size, and I don't know if she ever realized that. But I remember uh, we we whew, we got away with it, but she lost a teddy bear, she lost a toy or two, and I remember the talks. I remember going down to her level and telling her the very difficult news that that teddy bear is never coming back. You ever had to tell your child that a toy is not coming back? Okay, if, if, when you're a parent and you have to, that loved stuffed animal is gone forever. It's 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 lost, big loss. And uh, with all respect, some of you need to know your teddy bear is not coming back. Your innocence is not coming back. Your marriage is not coming back. That relationship, it's not coming back. There are things that you would do anything to bring back or change. You need to realize this. You're never going to be able to change the past. My shame, my past, things I don't want to talk about, I can't change. I used to think, what is wrong with me? But then I learned the second thing. This is the second step, and we're going to end with this. And that is, you can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. Christ can change your future. Christ can, and he wants to, no matter how bad no matter how painful, no matter how dark. There's a very popular verse, Romans 8, 28. It says this. It says, it's an awesome promise. And we know that in all things, does that really mean all things? Does that really mean everything you've ever experienced? Does that really mean everything you've ever done? Does that really mean everything that's ever been done to you? All things, God works for good. That means God can do something good with the mess that you have given to you or have created. God can make something good. We often leave that, for all things work to good. But that's not the end of the verse. The rest of it is, for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You see, there's two things here that are vital. Is that you need to know and love Jesus. You need to be in relationship with him. And you need to know that you are called his And we do that through bowing the knee to Christ by understanding that Christ is our Savior, our Lord, giving our life over to Him. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God can take that life of yours and turn it into something dynamic and beautiful. We're going to start looking at this idea 
with a life change like this with, with next week's series, uh, which I'll talk to you about in a second. Not everything works out if you're not a Christian. Let's be honest. Bad things can become worse things. Apart from Christ, God doesn't work all things for your benefit. Apart from Christ, sometimes things can get worse and worse. And, but in Christ, there's hope. In Christ, the good news is, in Christ, he works all things for those for good, for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Judas was overtaken by shame, and he, uh, he hid himself. He ran, and he allowed shame to take his life out. But Peter, he faced Jesus. He was restored, and he used that grace and that forgiveness and his story to change the world. God can use the very things that hurt you to change the world, to give you compassion for others, to give you a hearing ear to God. I want to end with this. Job 11.13 says this. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame and you will stand firm and without fear and you will surely forget your trouble recalling it only as water's gone by life will be brighter than noonday and darkness will become like morning and you will be secure because there is hope and you will look about you and take your rest in safety you look at all of your life you look at all of your circumstances and you'll still feel the sense of rest and peace and safety in Christ. He says, and you will lie down with no one to make you afraid. That means no more sleepless nights, playing that over and over again. And many will court your favor. That means people are going to come to you and ask you, what's different? What is it? And you'll say, it's because of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hand to him, See, God is the Lord of the broken. He's the God of the broken. Isaiah says this, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. What the enemy meant for evil, God can use for dynamic change in your life. Guys, listen, you are valuable, created with value. It's time to take those lies of the enemy into captivity. If you are a Christian, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But if you are a Christian, that shame hopefully today can lead to conviction and cause you to say yes to the freedom of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you. That God, you are the healer of our past. that you are the healer of our pain. God, you are the healer of, of broken dreams. God, you're the healer of lost innocence. You are the healer of poor choices, evil choices. God, you're the healer of broken lives. God, though we can't change the past, Lord, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And today can be a new day for you. 
a day, today can be a new beginning for you? What are you ashamed of? Is there something in your past that you need to release to God? You just take a moment to talk to God for a second. Just say, God, I've got a lot of shame. I've got some insecurity. Some of you, this may not be a message that hits you as as deeply as others. Will you pray for those in this room? If you're here right now and you're saying, you know what, this is really hitting me right where I need it. I've been walking in a lot of fear and anxiety and shame. I've been worried that people might find out about my life, about my old life, about who I am, about my insecurities. I'm, I'm ashamed about what's been done to me. I'm ashamed about what I have done, and it's paralyzing me. It's tormenting me. I feel like I'm in a prison. Well, Jesus came to set the captives free. So you take a moment and just talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, set me free. Set me free. Tell him in your own words, God, forgive me of my sin. God, forgive me of the pain, the shame, the hurt, the things that I have caused. God, forgive me. Maybe you are a victim and it's time to realize that you have been sinned against and it's time for you to not be ashamed anymore. Because it's not your fault. God, forgive us of our sin. Wash us clean. Help us to know, Father, that you are the healer of broken lives. And when we humbly come to you, God, our lives are changed forever. We just take a moment and talk to Jesus. Tell him about what's going on in your life. Take some time and talk to him right now. Jesus, here's my insecurities. Here's my struggles. Here's my, here's my pain. Talk to him right now. God, I pray that you'd help us to know that you created us with value. You created us beautifully and wonderfully made. God, I pray that you'd help us to know that that becomes realized value when we give our our life to you and when we put ourselves in the hands of our Creator. God, help us to know you. Help us to know who we were created to be. Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to talk to someone about this today, then uh, we're going to be hanging out, myself and some of our elders and some of our leaders, maybe your life team, small group leader will be here. Just grab one of them, grab me and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody about this. Or if you'd like to write me a letter or send me some information, or if you want me to contact you, just fill out that connection card that's in your worship guide, and and I'll be sure to contact you, and and we can meet and talk or talk over the phone. Um, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, and we're going to pray for our offering real quick. God, thank you that, God, uh, Lord, you've blessed us in ways that, uh, Lord, we we maybe can't even imagine. And, uh, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that, that every one of us, Lord, you, you made us rich in the spirit and, God, rich in things in this life as well. So, Lord, I pray that we'd be able to, to give that back to you for the service of the kingdom and so that, Lord, the lives can be set free. 
God, help us to be faithful in our giving and uh, sacrificial. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to hand it back over to, to Chris to, to close this out with some worship and some praise. And uh, um, let's just stand while the ushers are passing the offering bucket. Um, let's go ahead and stand. And uh, wherever you're at in your life today, maybe you're free. Maybe this is old story for you. Maybe you, maybe you remember those days when you were bound in your shame. Isn't it good to be free? You don't want to go back there anymore, do you? Some of you, you're like, man, I am thankful. That is not my life anymore. But there are many in this room, that's where you are right now. And it's time to know that you are free. So let's celebrate together those that are free and those that are being set free. And let's lift up our, our hands to the one who is worthy of all the praise, the only one who can truly set us free. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.